Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Welcome to this regular SACPA session. Um, please do yourself and the people around you a favor. Turn off your cell phone and any other electronic devices before we before takeoff. Um, our topic this afternoon is fallacies about bats, birds, and breezes. What are the real facts of wind power? Our speaker is Chris Hodgins, who I'll introduce in just a moment. I'm your moderator, Tom Kane. We're recording this session as usual, and an audio version will be available on our SACPA web website, www.sacpa.ca. And also remember that the website has a new look and also enables you to review Chris's Power slides, PowerPoint slides online. SACPA is a non-profit, is a non-for-profit organization, volunteer, relies on contribution of members and, se and session attendees like yourselves, to continue its work. If you haven't taken out your 2011-12 membership, get in touch with Lisa. Uh, Lisa's over here. Um, SACPA would like to acknowledge our partners, the University of Lethbridge for support and distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for our fine lunches, and we say fine lunches in advance. We just have our fingers crossed as usual. It's going to be really good. Um, I don't know what the menu is yet. So we'll thank you in advance. It's likely going to be good. I mean, it is going to be good. Shaw TV for broadcasting the sessions Sundays at 4.30. Is that correct? And the Lethbridge Media for covering SACPA events. We'll follow the regular format for the session. Chris will speak for 30 minutes. We'll digest our lunch and our thoughts and from, from 12.30 to 12.59. And then we'll begin the usual question period at 1 p.m. The topic this afternoon... Fallacies about bats, I would have thought it was about wind power, birds and the breeze, what are the real facts of wind power? Chris will enlighten us on that. The International Wind Energy Academy sounds impressive, doesn't it? It's at Lethbridge College, and he'll tell you what that is. And it has a goal of community capacity building for wind energy development in southern Alberta. Chris is engaging Southern Albertans to take advantage of the emerging economic opportunities, including quality jobs associated with the development and operation of large and small wind energy projects. But for him, he notices there's a lot of misinformation around. And sometimes that's picked up by the media just because they pick up stuff and they don't necessarily analyze it like they used to. So what are the relative arguments facing wind power in terms of some of these concerns? These issues and others facing wind power will be put in perspective by our speaker while he attempts to cut through the clutter of false information. So who is Chris Hodgins? He's a wind energy community liaison with the International Wind Energy Academy at Lethbridge College, which is advocating for building more wind energy in southern Alberta. They're also doing some education and demonstration site endeavors. He'll tell you about those. An extension of the highly successful wind turbine technician training program at Lethbridge College is also on his radar. And recently there was, uh, they were visited by Christine Warren from Germany, who was very in awe of what she saw being done here at the Lethbridge College. She's uh, worked a lot on renewable energy in Germany. 
Previously, Chris worked to attract investment in renewable energy while he he was employed with Economic Development Lethbridge. And their website is in the flyer if you want to look up what uh, Choose Lethbridge is doing. And he has a professional designation in economic development and a Bachelor of Arts degree in communications. Please welcome Chris Hodgins to the second session. Thanks for that introduction, Tom. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this cartoon by now, so I'll just continue on here. So today, uh, for my talk, I'll be just briefly going through these uh, points here, talking briefly on the International Wind Energy Academy, uh, talking about the wind energy sector here in Alberta, and then going into some of the myths and facts surrounding wind energy, and then uh, allowing for question period afterwards. So, like Tom mentioned, the Wind Turbine Technician Training Program has been running at Lethbridge College since 2005. It's been an extremely successful program. We've been able to train about 40 students a year. That's three intakes of 15 students each. And right now we have a waiting list of 35 students. We are one of the first in North America to have this BZEE certification that you see here. Uh, which is a standard for training, which is excellent. And also every six months we sit around the table with industry like um, people like Shell and Vestas and Enercon and, and the major wind players just to ensure that our program is relevant and that our students are getting the most for this program. So very exciting. Um, <clears throat> that? Last year we received Rural Alberta Development funding to the tune of $1.2 million to really reach beyond the program. Uh, this means we're doing education uh, events such as this. We're going to conferences across Canada. Uh, we're, we're getting into the uh, elementary, junior high, and high schools to really educate children on renewable energy and the opportunities with wind and the careers that come with them. Uh, in the fall, we'll be doing wind energy sessions in the community. We have five communities actually will be offering the sessions, uh, talking about energy efficiency, talking about large and small-scale wind systems, as well as actually providing people who attend this class the actual steps needed to install a small wind or solar project on their property. So that's very exciting, and uh, there's brochures out front if you're, you're more interested in that. Uh, we're also partnered with Southgrove. Uh, the Regional Economic Development Authority, uh, to provide renewable energy uh, education to 22 communities here in southern Alberta. Uh, Tom spoke of the demonstration sites. Uh, we're very excited to partner with the Birds of Prey Centre in Coaldale. Uh, we're looking at doing a renewable energy interpretive centre. So that's, that's very exciting, getting, again, the, the issue of bats and birds right out there in the open. And what a better place than, than that centre because they see some 15,000 to 20,000 visitors a year and really a great opportunity to, to start talking to children when they're taking the school tours through there about renewable energy. Uh, and then the expansion of the wind turbine program uh, in the new year we'll be offering small wind and solar installation classes as well as we'll be looking at offering the wind turbine technician training program online as well with mobile training units that'll go around to high schools uh, to give high school students early credit before they graduate. So let's look back on what's happened here in Alberta since 1990. We were actually the first site of wind farms in Canada with Cowley Ridge. Canadian Hydro developed that project back in 90, uh, 1990 uh, with the Kenetech machines out there. Uh, since that time, uh, the Alberta Electric Systems Operator put a cap on wind energy back in 2006 because they weren't sure about the variability in wind. And so they capped the amount of wind being produced in Alberta at 900 megawatts. The next year, they did a transmission study where they actually... Um, 
looked looked at how this they can handle variability in the grid. And so that was very, very encouraging that they lifted that cap. And today we sit at 807 megawatts of wind power in the province. So the five-year projection going forward, we're looking at 1,600 megawatts of wind power. Um, uh, and that's, that's just the next five years. The, the next two major projects that you may be very curious about in this area will be uh, one in Carmengay. Uh, that'll be a 300 megawatt project just north of here by an hour. Uh, in Vulcan area, uh, that'll be 300 megawatts, so the largest in Canada. And then Shell is planning a project south of Bow Island called the Wild Steer Butte Project, which would be approximately 800 megawatts in itself. So that's substantial because at 800 megawatts right now in the province, 6% of our energy being uh, produced is coming from wind. And then just talking here in Canada, another 3,000 megawatts is expected next year. Um, and then another 730 megawatts will be constructed by the end of this year. So this is just a pie chart. Hopefully it's not too fuzzy there at the back, but uh, the green represents wind. And see we're sitting at 6% here. And then growing to 13% uh, by 2020 with 2,500 megawatts of wind. So uh, coal is represented by yellow. Uh, Co-generation is represented by this uh, turquoise color. And hydro is 7%. So you got a good picture there. And this just kind of puts in perspective where we sit uh, globally. Canada's number nine in, in the world with 4,008 megawatts as of February of this year. And so companies like, or countries like China have ramped up considerably in the last three years. And now they have 44,000 megawatts of wind, which is astonishing. So let's get right into the myths. Uh, the first one. Um, you may have heard a lot in the media, especially out in Ontario with a group called Wind Concerns Ontario. There's a very strong anti-wind group out there. A lot of it has to do with not engaging the community properly and projects growing from 10 megawatts to 100 megawatts. Uh, a lot of the projects are being developed in cottage country, so a lot of people simply don't want to have them in their backyard and they don't want it interrupting their sight lines. So one of the complaints is that uh, bats and birds are dying at an exponential rate. I'll show you this graph here kind of puts things in perspective. You look at the top, wind turbines, less than one per uh, 10,000 fatalities. And then you put in the big scheme of thing, uh, 10 million birds are dying from cats, and 55 million birds are dying from office towers and windows. So really, we should be angry at some buildings out there. So, uh, Here's some more facts just to support that. Uh, it's approximately two birds per turbine per year that are dying. And this was a study that was doing, done in uh, 2001, talking about avian collisions with wind turbines. Uh, Non-renewable energy, obviously a higher risk to wildlife than renewable sources. And that's a fact from the American Wind Energy Association. Uh, the wind industry is also proactively collaborating to address impacts to protect wildlife. It's one of the few sectors out there that actually cares about the environment uh, and, and make sure it's, it's one of their top priorities when they're developing their projects. Uh, again, 10, 000, over 10,000 migratory birds per year are killed by Toronto office towers. Uh, and there's a study that Transalta and the University of Calgary have done uh, where they've actually reduced the amount of fatality of bats and birds by 60%. And what they do is actually turn off the wind turbines during migratory season and at dusk and dawn and found that it has great success. So that's very encouraging going forward. So myth number two, wind turbines are noisy. Um, and people... Uh, are complaining about the noise from wind turbines. 
So here is a decibel meter that shows where wind turbines sit in the big scheme of things. I'll just point out what you see here if you can't see all these little images. You have falling leaves here at about 10 decibels. Bedroom noise is about 30 to 40 decibels. Home when you're having your dinner. <laughs> Depends on whose bedroom you're having. <laughs> and then uh, in your home, a dinner time conversation about 50 decibels. Inside your car, you're about 80 decibels. Industrial noise, you're sitting at 100, me uh, 100 decibels, which is also like a loud rock concert. Uh, jet airplane is about 150 decibels. Pneumatic drill, 130 decibels. Stereo music is about 90 decibels. Offices are about 60 to 70 decibels. And then you have wind turbines sitting here at about 50 decibels. And whispers are about 20 decibels. So. And uh, this is another nice uh, graphic that really illustrates that uh, the distance from a wind turbine to an actual residence uh, it, whenever you double the distance from a turbine, it decreases the sound by a factor of four. So right now, the typical setback for a wind turbine to a residential property is about 550 meters. Um, so just to explain this factor of four, so a sound level reading at 25 feet from the turbine hub drops by a factor of four at 50 feet, and it drops by a factor of 16 at 100 feet. Uh, myth number three, this one is uh, pretty big right now. There's a lot of uh, uh, media reports about this. There's a, a, a lawsuit that's going on in Ontario because people are complaining about nausea and headaches and, and people getting sick from wind turbines. So in December of 2009, the Canadian Wind Energy Association and the American Associ Wind Energy Association teamed together to do a wind turbine sound and health effects panel review. Uh, they got medical doctors, audiologists, and acoustical professionals from U.S., Canada, Denmark, and the U.K. And they concluded these four things. First, that the sound from wind turbines does not pose a risk of hearing loss or any other adverse health effect in humans. Second, sub-audible low-frequency sound in infrasound does not present a risk to human health. Third, some people may be annoyed at the presence of sound from wind turbines, but annoyance is not a pathological entity. <laughs> Fourth, a major cause of concern about wind turbine sound is its fluctuating nature. Some may find that this sound is annoying, a reaction that depends primarily on personal characteristics as opposed to the intensity of the sound level. So again, there's no clinical study out there that actually proves that wind turbines are actually causing any of these adverse health effects. Uh, another one, uh, this has also been in the news recently, about the decreasing property value of houses surrounding wind turbines. So... Um, this was uh, the REMAX uh, market trends report actually found that a majority of Ontario's agriculture regions enjoyed a significant increase in prices for farmland over 2010 prices. Uh, a farm edition report in September of this year found rising agricultural commodity values and tight inventory levels have contributed to a significant upswing in the price of Ontario farmland in 2011. So it, here's a quote. Uh, it is promising to hear that the value of agriculture property has increased in most recent regions of Ontario, especially in areas like Chatham-Kent and Windsor-Essex, where wind energy has also enjoyed significant growth over the past few years. This is from Chris Forrest, the communications uh, a guy with the uh, Canadian Wind Energy Association. So again, he says this would seem to run contrary to claims made by opponents. Uh, here's some more about property values. There's multiple studies and comprehensive ones, even from the United States, that have consistently shown the presence of wind turbines does not have any statistically significant impact on property values. 
the Canadian study of Chatham-Kent, again, found no evidence on any impact on property values, as I mentioned, as well the Ontario Ministry of Finance, which oversees Municipal Property Assessment Corporation. They set values on land for taxation purposes, and they found there's no evidence that wind turbines are driving down assessed values. So uh, here's another myth, that wind power is expensive. The surprising thing with wind turbines is uh, that the actual cost to manufacture, the amount of energy it takes to, to manufacture wind turbine, it takes three to five months to pay for energy cost in manufacturing. So that's, that's offset right away. And then when you're talking about the typical turbine that's out there right now, this is the 80, million, or 80 meter structures. And each one of these wind turbines now that are popping up here in southern Alberta, they're worth $6.6 million each. And they pay themselves off in approximately six to seven years. So they have a lifespan of 25 years, so that's very encouraging. That's, that's why so many wind farms are still popping up here in Alberta, especially when there's no subsidies. Another nice thing to note is that wind power creates 27% more jobs in coal electric and 66% more jobs in natural gas electric per unit of energy. So do subsidies help? Here's a nice graphic here. <laughs> Ontario's getting screwed by big wind. Uh, if, if you're familiar with the feed and tariff program out in Ontario, uh, what they have is a 20-year guarantee for developers that when they set up their wind power project, that uh, they have a guaranteed price for the amount of energy they're producing. This is very attractive, and they've uh, created a very robust manufacturing sector in response to the downturn in the auto sector, which is which is a great. Uh, I guess they're very they're very happy about what's happened in Ontario. So. Um, it's, it's helped considerably. They've also done things that are not looked at favorably, uh, things like domestic content rules in Ontario and Quebec. They, they stand at 50% and 60% accordingly. So that's, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting how they're kind of putting up walls around their, their provinces. But it's helping because they're bringing in companies like Samsung and Siemens who are doing significant manufacturing plants in Ontario and Quebec. So... Um, Here's a quote here. Uh, the Green Energy Act and its groundbreaking feed and tariff program have made Ontario one of the most attractive markets for renewable energy in North America and around the world. Well over a billion dollars in new private sector investment will flow directly into Ontario at a time when we are competing globally for new investment. So this is a typical wind farm project of 100 megawatts. That's about 33 turbines. Each one of those wind farms represents 100 construction jobs and 10 permanent operations and maintenance jobs, which we're very happy about with our wind turbine technician training program. Um, there's nearly $270 million in total private sector investment, including over $20 million in payments to landowners and municipalities. Uh, that will also meet the uh, power needs for 100,000 homes. And the last 10 years, wind turbine use in Canada has increased at more than 25% per year. So, Here's looking at uh, subsidies for energy production over a historical period. Uh, definitely oil and gas sector is heavily subsidized here. Uh, you can see in the gray. And then renewable energy is the sliver in the green. So people are complaining about the amount of subsidies that are happening in Ontario and think that it's uh, jacking up their electricity rates, which is actually not the case. And here in Lethbridge, I don't know if you saw that paper in the newspaper recently about uh, uh, energy costs going up about $5 uh, per, per house if you're not an NMAX customer. That's, 
that's uh, pretty significant per month. So um, those are the costs from the oil and gas, uh, or from uh, the transmission lines being constructed. So it's it's uh, it's, it's interesting. And, and so um, one of the neat things that happened, uh, I sent a, a letter to all the premier hopefuls, and Alison Redford was the only one who got back to me talking about what is promised for that renewable energy framework that was promised by the Department of Energy a few years ago. And she says that she wants to make Alberta a global leader in, in renewable energy production. So that was very encouraging to hear. So we'll see if she holds true to that. It's, it's very exciting for the future. Uh, the impacts on Ontario. So again, with this feed-in tariff system, you've seen uh, it's, it's very dramatic, the amount of economic opportunity that's been generated because of this. Um, they've created 80,000 person years of employment, over $16 billion in total private sector investment, $8.5 billion invested directly into Ontario's manufacturing, construction, and service sectors, and over $1.1 billion in revenues to local municipalities and landowners in taxes and lease payments over the 20-year lifespan of the projects. Now let's compare Pincher Creek. In Alberta, we've had very few subsidies. Um, there's the eco-energy program nationally, but really there has been nothing uh, provincially here for, for incentives for wind energy. And so in the last 10 years, this is going from 96 to 2006, this is what's happened in, in Pincher Creek. But these figures are again from 2006, so they're conservative in nature because things have improved since then. They have injected over $10 million into the local economy. Three offices have been constructed. There's 21 full-time jobs, $1.4 million annual payroll, $900,000 in municipal taxes, and estimated lease payments to landowners of $15,000 per turbine. So a great way for farmers to diversify their income, especially in these times. Uh, wind energy, just uh, some points here on inflation. Obviously, the fuel is free across the 25-year lifespan of a wind turbine, protecting consumers from fuel price spikes. And the cents per kilowatt hour price for wind power can actually match or beat new coal, nuclear, and natural gas generation. Wind energy is also one of the most affordable forms of new energy, costing less than coal or nuclear. So thinking about things like variability, when you um, obviously the wind is not always blowing, um, even in Pincher Creek. <laughs> and uh, so because of that, uh, a great partnership for renewable energy sources is hydro. So that's why um, BC, I was just at the Canadian Wind Energy Association conference last week in Vancouver. They're very excited because I think they have something like 90% of their energy coming from hydro. So partnering up with the spring runoff when hydro is at its most successful versus in the times when wind is at its most subtle in the spring and summer months, it's a great partnership to account for that variability. And they actually have forecasting software that they're doing with the wind turbines. That's helping a lot to predict what's going to happen for the next week, month, year on that, on that wind farm. And they have the, uh, the interties to BC and Saskatchewan, as well as the Montana, Alberta, Thailand that's being constructed to, again, account for that variability. So I think that's it. Um, we'll leave it there, and I guess uh, enjoy your lunch, and we'll chat in a bit.